Welcome to another episode of Under the Influence with me, uh, Jazz Rye, and Delash Popper, and with us is Tom Watson, who's our sound engineer. I'm delighted to say I have Les with us today. Les is in recovery, and Les is also going to share with us a bit about his journey, but also what he's been doing with Turning Point and uh, the work he's been doing in Leicester, um, helping other other addicts as well. Welcome, Les, and thank you for joining us today. Yes, it's been a pleasure. I've been working with Les for many, many years. It feels like a lifetime, to be honest, Les. And, and I see some of the work Les has been doing. He's been phenomenal, um, to say the least. Um, and he's recently started a role as a peer mentor, as the peer mentor coordinator. And previous to that, you was working in harm reduction. Yeah. And I think that Jazz has just mentioned the story about you, you're in recovery as well, but... Where did all this? Where did all this begin, Les? How did this all start? So I did my final detox about ten and a half years ago. Um, but prior to that, I, I'd had a, a rough few years um, trying to get sober. Um, I was a functioning alcoholic for a while. Um, I had quite a good job working in a care home. Um, I was a duty officer there, so didn't drink on duty and stuff but I, I did as soon as I finished work I'd go and drink um, stopped um, and started with that but n- never like got sobriety from it um, didn't think I had like a proper problem with it um, wasn't until I'd gone away with uh, my ex and we didn't drink for a day and I had my first seizure um, and that was because I'd gone into alcohol withdrawals um, and then that kind of, it wasn't the wake up call for me though unfortunately, there was a few more years after that um, but that was the kind of first sign to me that something was really wrong, um, waking up in the hospital um, after collapsing when everything went black and then being told you had a seizure, this happened, your liver enzymes are off the chart and so. I, I, I suffered, um, I, I've lost count how many seizures I had if I'm honest and uh, and it is a scra- scary isn't it when you think you've just had a blackout and when you come around and you've been told it's because uh, of the alcohol withdrawals. Yeah. I mean that, that must have scared you surely knowing that you've. Uh, it did but it didn't, Yeah. it didn't stop me from drinking um, yeah. at that point because I'd worked as a functioning alcoholic for a while and then I'd had time off because I had a knee injury. Um, so I was about six months off work, I was on crutches, a lot of time spent at home on my own drinking. My drinking went up to about a litre of vodka a day and then I'd be drinking on top of that as well. Um, Let's come back to the seizures. I mean, I experienced seizures myself and I know uh, my first seizure was uh, way back in, I think, 1998 and it's quite scary for my family to see that it was at a wedding actually it was at my cousin's wedding the day after the wedding and i'd literally not had any alcohol for a few hours and um because i was drinking i think at the time i was having half a bottle to a bottle a day and then not having anything for a few hours the body was in shock so i mean that, that must have been quite scary for you 
that bit didn't really scare me at first because, because it was the first one, it didn't... Affect the Yeah, well, obviously it did because I ended up in hospital and stuff, but it didn't really hit home. Yeah. And even because I kind of, I stopped working after that as well. Yeah. And that's when things got really bad and I, I ended up being a frequent flyer. So I was one of the people that we see in the hospitals now that was in every couple of weeks. And Simba, who used to be the alcohol worker for Leicestershire then, used to come and sit at the end of my bed and he'd be like, what we're going to do now? And I'd be like, oh, fine, everything's all right. There's nothing wrong with me. And he's like, he's like well, it's not. And he'd have me medical records there and he'd be going, well, this, it says this and it says that. And I'd be like, no, no, I'm fine. And I remember one time they put me next to a guy that was a couple of years older than me that had got liver cirrhosis. And I think looking back on it now, they would, they'd probably done that. To kind of yeah. get it to hit home that actually, if you carry on, this could happen. Could happen. When, but, when sort of did it hit home? I sort of, when did it hit home? I think when it really hit home was when my, my nana passed away. So my mum and my nana brought me up after my dad passed away. And I was alcohol dependent towards the end with her. Um, she never saw how bad I got, but because me and my sister were really close to her, we were doing a reading at the funeral. Um, so even though I was alcohol dependent, I, I had to, obviously I had to drink because I was dependent and I knew like the issues around like not stopping and stuff because that had been drilled into me. Like, each time I was in the hospital, they would say, look, you need to make sure that you're drinking enough and all that. But I got through that day and I, like my sister said that she couldn't do it. She stood up there with me and would written something and I did that and it was after that that I got in contact with LCPT at the time, uh, Leicester Community Projects Trust, who, and they're not around anymore, they haven't been for a long time. But, no turning point. Yeah, uh, but they did a referral for me um, to go and see a doctor about an inpatient detox um, and I did that up at the Aston Ward before we were referring people over um, to Nottingham now. Um, so did that, the workers at LCPT were really good. They changed over when the contracts changed. Um, and I was given a worker, Angie Barron, who I'm really fortunate. Angie's a really close friend to, uh, to me now and she works for certain points, so she works in the hospitals. Um, so she's got the role that Simba used to have as like a turning point liaison uh, within that. Cause they don't just deal with alcohol anymore, they deal with drugs and alcohol. Um, but Angie was kind of, well, she was my angel. She pushed me, um, obviously I was sober by then because I'd done the inpatient detox and she was like doing all the psychosocial interventions with me and uh, my anxiety was through the roof. I was only leaving the house to go to appointments with her. So she got me doing stuff with a health trainer and she got me like doing gym sessions with him and doing acupuncture to kind of build up on like things that I was doing to build up my recovery capital so I had stuff around me and then I think this, this it's, it's really it's, it's great to hear your story I think sometimes you just need that motivation I think you, you're doing it now we're, we're motivating people yeah. I think Jazz as well he's motivating people what was the biggest 
sort of motivation for you, I think, to make that change and continue to make the change and continue to be where you are today? Just seeing that I could have a life without substances, whereas like my my life had been all about using and like even though I didn't think about it at the time, that was my life. And then when looking back at it now, it wasn't a life. It it was just an existence. It was like Grandog Day, yeah. like, just just living to exist. Yeah. Whereas now I've got a life and through the work that I did with Angie, it kind of opened my eyes up to see that like small achievable things were possible uh, and building on that. What was your rock bottom? I know you talk about motivation, Dillis has just said what, what motivated you, but everyone's rock bottom is different, isn't it? So, you know, maybe to motivate you, you had yeah. to see your rock bottom. What was your rock bottom? See, it, looking back right now, it was the amount of time that I was in the hospital. Yeah. I just, I, I was in there hmm. every few weeks, every couple of months. Um, I was nine stone wet through. Um, so, that's a stone more than what I was actually. Yeah. You know, I was eight stone. Yeah. Crazy. I think that's that point. So that rock bottom led you to make these changes. You met Angie, who seems to have supported you through your changes. I think. Yeah. And from there, you started to become a peer. I think Angie was the one who wanted you to be a peer. Yeah. In our appointments, she kept. She kept bringing in the application forms because they were recruiting for peer mentors at the time, saying, I think you should do this. Oh, I think you'd be really good at this. I kept losing <laughs> them all, just getting rid of them, chucking them away. Uh, but she persevered with it. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in now because from doing that, um, I did a lot during my peer mentoring, um, helping support people. Um, not only within the service, like helping people to access mutual aid groups, so taking them to smart recovery and taking them to NA and AA groups. Um, even just supporting people, like what my health trainer did, to go to appointments. Because um, a lot of time, when people are in addiction, they get anxious about stuff, um, which I still get anxious now. Like doing this interview today, it was really like, <laughs> the most anxious I've been for a while, but... We're sorry for that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, people need the support to help doing that, and that's why the peer mentoring was really good for me, because it helped me, when you look at the five ways of well-being now, like giving back is one of the five ways of well-being. Um, learning as well. Like I, I learned loads doing the peer mentoring, um, and that seeing that you can help others change as well. Because people helped me in recovery um, who were peer mentors. So like Barry, and I don't know whether you know Barry. He's still around. Yeah, Leroy. Um, Vince, who works at Turning Point, was on my cohort of peer mentors as well. So it, it's just like... And it's quite strange to see that 10 years later, the, the guy that you was on peer, ment peer mentoring with, is that Leroy, who's known at Turning Point, yeah. Vince, known at Turning Point, yourself, who's, yeah. really, who's known at Turning Point. It's great to see that these people have just started as a course and started as volunteering. Yeah. And then volunteering allowed them to become some amazing workers. Yeah. So, and, and you're a part of that. Where, where would you say, what advice would you give to other people that are struggling now 
with addiction, struggling where you were struggling, what, what advice would you give them? Just to take it one day at a time. Don't try and rush things as well. I know like in early recovery, you, when that light bulb goes on and you want to change, you want it all to change right away. But that's part of addiction. You want that instant gratification. You, but the reason why we take drugs or alcohol is because we want to get that instant thing. So when we get sober, we want to stop drinking straight away. We want to be working. We want to be doing this and, and it doesn't happen overnight. And, and I think that, that's, sorry, yeah. and that's what people tend to think, don't they? That they, they go to one meeting and that's it. Yeah. Problems are going to be solved, that's it. But like you, 10 and a half years, you know, it, it wasn't something that happened just overnight. Yeah. You had to persevere. You had to go through a lot of pain, yeah. even while you were sober. So it is, I think that's important for people to realise it. it. It's not going to happen overnight, is it? It's not, no, and that's what I say. It's like before you can run, you've got to learn how to walk. Be stripped back even that before you can walk, you've got to learn how to crawl. Yeah. And it's sort of taking it back from that crawling stage and just taking each day as it comes, taking each challenge as it comes, and just learning from every day. And I think that's what I love with, with counting the days um, and seeing where you know, it's now a year in sobriety, now it's two years, now it's three yeah. years. Did you count your days as well, or was it just? Take it as it comes. I, I did at first because I was six months into recovery before I even walked through the doors of an AA meeting. And it was through the work that I did at Quality of Life. Um, I was doing my peer mentoring with them um, and then getting introduced to the groups and stuff, being introduced to Barry and Leroy. Um, they were doing a group at the time um, that John Roberts had put together um, that was teaching people about mutual aid groups and how supportive they can be. Um, and it's that whole building new recovery capital as well and making sure that you find what works for you. Not everything like, works for everyone. I've worked with people that have said, oh, like the meetings aren't for me. Have you been to a meeting? No. <laughs> then try it because I was very much like that. And it really supported me. I got to six months and I was like a dry drunk. Um, yeah. And I was acting out and going to meetings and meeting other people in recovery really taught me that, that it's not, you, you can't do everything on your own. You need to have that support around you. Um, and it, it, it's amazing to see how the recovery community has built and developed over the years since I got into recovery. Like, I ended up doing NA meetings because I've used drugs in the past and I felt more comfortable talking about everything in those meetings. Um, and it's finding what works for you. And I think that, and I, and I like that because that's what I was one size doesn't fit all. Some yeah. people go into AA meetings and, and they get put off with it because they tend to think that it's being forced on them yeah. because it worked for one person. No, I, I, you know, for some people, one of the things I loved working with Turning Point and Dilesh and the team is that, you know, I wasn't aware of smart recovery. Yeah. And I did it um, with Dear Albert. I did an online did it through the lockdown. I, I did, um, I've got, got a snippet of uh, uh, smart recovery. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was fun. Yeah, really interesting. smart recovery. Smart recovery, yeah. yeah. And then I think, I think that's important that one size doesn't fit all. Someone, um, 
NA, I mean, I did NA meetings when I caught in the early days. I never took drugs. Yeah. I tried a bit of weed, but that was yeah. it. But if I couldn't get to an AA meeting, I'd go to an NA meeting. Yeah. And a bit like you, you could talk about anything. And it, it was really good. You know, for some people who won't like the, the meetings, but they like small recovery. They might want to go to the gym. That might help them. Yeah. Or just going out connecting with nature. So I think it's, it's about yeah. exploring, trying different things. And, and that will help. And developing over time as well, because I, I don't do meetings as religiously as I used to in early recovery. Um, I'll, I'll tap in every now and again yeah. if I feel that I need it, but like, making sure that like, I go to the gym a lot, or go out with friends, go to the cinema, things like that, just like making sure yeah. that you are doing something. something. And, and, and how do you maintain your recovery? You know, your maintenance for recovery, you know, it's a, I know it's a daily thing, isn't it? You know, you've just touched yeah. upon it earlier. It's one day at a time. Yeah. But you, there's certain things that you probably do on a daily basis. Stuff, stuff that I do all the time. At the end of the day, I'll do like a gratitude list in my head. Just what I'm thankful for. Trying to be positive each day. I know that people take the mick out of me because I'll, if people ask me how I am, I'm like... Living the dream. <laughs> yeah, living the dream. <laughs> yeah. But when I look back on... I know it sounds really corny, but if I look back on how things were, like, I didn't have a life. It was my life was just a bottle and that was it every single day and now I have got a life and that's yeah. saying is I think everyone at Turning Point knows I think I say it from you as well ask you how you are is always responsive as living the dream I didn't realise that when you when, when you walked in didn't you I think so someone asked you <laughs> how are you and he said living the dream I thought you just I didn't realise that was a something you said that quote comes from from you and I think now I understand that you are living the dream today compared to where you was before. And I think we, we talk about a lot of where you've got to today and we talk about the peer mentoring. What was your first job role working with Turning Point or working in recovery, helping others? Working in recovery, um, Vince, Leroy and myself all started as group workers. Um, and then we've, we've all gone on and done different things from there. Um, so after being a group worker, I did like the, the host at Quality of Life. So I was basically doing reception, doing um, the referrals when people came in, um, helping support the peer mentors there. Then I became a recovery work, well, recovery navigator with the next service, um, Leicester Recovery Partnership. Um, but holding caseloads, um, having clinics and stuff. Then. I started running the needle exchange there, but that was like my baby. That, that's where I kind of developed a lot of. That's where you grew then, isn't it? That's yeah. where your growth came. Yeah, even though like I was mm. never an RV drug user, I've, I've never injected steroids, I've, I've never had Botox. Like people always think needle exchange sure? is just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely haven't. Um, but people always think of the needle exchange as being just heroin and crack yeah. whereas it's so much more than that and my, my passion for that it just kind of exploded when I started doing that um, and that's where I met you and that's where I think it was I met you there and you could see the passion I think even talking back to with Manny before on one of the podcasts I think even Manny spoke about how much you helped him yeah. he was he, he was helped by you and your advice that you gave him and I think when you talk about harm reduction what 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 is it to harm reduction 
even looking back on myself when I was first coming in and I was yeah I moved like every day it was basically a litre of vodka but then I'd be drinking cans on top of that so my recovery worker at the time was like well we know like every day litre of vodka but keep track of how many cans you have and I was like oh, I can't do that and she was like a bit of a harm reduction advice from her keep the wrinkles yep. and put them in a cup so you know each each day you've had that much and we'll work on reducing from that and then it, it works in time that like, I'd start to reduce um, and when we talk about like harm reduction and the needle exchange and stuff like just make sure that people are rotating sites I know this is for alcohol awareness but you put even like setting goals for yourself each day making sure that you're doing stuff make sure like I wasn't eating when I was drinking um, I was lucky if I was having a couple of soup a week and that's why I, I dropped so low in my weight I was basically getting my calories from the beer that I was drinking um, but like workers suggesting like oh well making sure that like you're eating at least one meal a day even if it's like soup and, and things like that making sure that when I was drinking instead of like necking neat vodka put some lemonade with it could you see that change in yourself you know the less you was drinking the more you was eating could you see yourself yeah, yeah. and and that's the positive things that like it's the small achievable goals that like you're you're doing those little things and gradually over time you can start to see those changes mm. in yourself and I was taking care of myself like I think going to the gym but even like you know you're doing simple things like eating sort of but even yeah. having a white I, I remember yeah. that well that was it yeah, I was that only, was one of the things that yeah I wasn't even brushing my teeth yeah you know, I wasn't washing you're just doing that on yeah. a daily basis it was like you look back and think actually I've had a yeah. wash today yeah I've had a shower but it's amazing like the world of difference that makes <clears> just getting up and yeah. having a shower or if you don't have a shower wash your face like just putting those little things in and I know like to people that aren't in recovery or people that have never had addiction problems and they've never been in that really dark place don't think oh well it's only having a wash but it's a massive thing well, mm -hmm. you, like, it's the you hardest say, thing to yeah. do when you want all you want to do is go out and get a bottle of vodka yeah that, that, that's your that, that's your priority at that time yeah it was for me anyway, it was yeah. six o'clock in the morning, it wasn't a wash. Yeah. It was to get to the news <laughs> when agent. When you sat there shaking, <laughs> yeah. and like your priorities are completely different. Yeah. And that's, that's what we talk about now, we're having this open discussion, and, and if you were there, what, what would you advise to other people that are going well, through? Dennis, before you come to that, I don't know, you talked about um, meeting, uh, you know, last when he was doing the um, harm reduction, so you, how long have you known Les? Probably around four, four to five years now, yeah. isn't it, since yeah. 10 employees come over. Yeah. Right, and it's 10 and a half years sober, clean, yeah. sobriety. Reduction in yeah, recovery. Yeah, in recovery. So what changed, I mean, you, you've seen four, you know, what growth have you seen with um, Les? So, uh, you put me on the spot now, but yeah. to, to be honest with Les, the, the first woman I met Les, you could tell that he knew what he was talking about. You knew what you what you see is what you get. 
And I think that's has always been the case. Always a happy, smiling person. You'll always see him in a good mood. And no matter when or what you needed from Les, Les will provide. Les will always say yes, well, he'll help. And he'll always be willing to help. That's one thing that I've seen from him. The changes, well, I think the knowledge. I, I, I can't say that the knowledge has changed. It's just more and more he's improved. He's gone from being great with harm reduction to now being peer mentor and being great with peer mentors. Whatever you ask him, and want from him regarding advice regarding mental, he's got it. He's just a well, he's just a book of information. Whatever you want from us, you generally get. Um, and he's always happy and, happy and smiling, which is great to see. You don't see many people like that. No, and I think the th we've only met, I think, what, in the last hour or so. Um, but talking to you even before we started doing this is there's a lot of gratitude there. And I think that, that is important in recovery. I was told in the early days. The two, the, the two things that are going to um, kind of save me from this life of hell is honesty and gratitude. And, and I, I hear a lot of yeah. that in you, gratitude, not just for your recovery, but for the fellowships, for Turning Point, you know, and all the people yeah. that you've been around. So the gratitude on a daily basis is huge, isn't it? Yeah, and, and grateful. Uh, people always pull me up because they'll say, oh, you've done really well. And I say, well, it's the support that I've had from other yeah. people, and people always like question me about that and say, "Oh well, no, it's it, it's not, it's not down to other people. It's you that's done it." Well, it's a mixture of both because you've put the effort in. I've put the effort, the effort in, in, but, but you've had some guidance, support, me. yeah. And we we all know from like the work that we do with people that are in recovery that we get as much out of that as what the other people yeah. in recovery. It's a two-way thing, out, isn't it? Yeah. It's two-way. Um, it's two ways. And. I, I don't take it all on myself that I'm here now and it's all mine. But I, that's why I always thank other people for doing it because if, if it wasn't for the other people that were around me, I wouldn't be where I am now. And I guess that's why I have that relationship with Angie right now. I think yeah. you say you're good friends with Angie. Yeah. I think it feels like you know that that person's helped you so yeah. much in treatment and helped you get to where yeah. you are today. Well, not... Yeah, Angie pushed me but there's other people as well like Joe Hall's been there all the way through my journey and Sarah and Mary well the list goes on like there's more and more people each day that I come into contact with and even like people that are in treatment have helped me it's like what they say in like fellowships that like like addicts helping addicts help each other but it's not just addicts helping addicts it's like people helping people yeah. that gets us yeah but you know, like yours, I, I, I totally get that and you know when you're sat in a meeting and you've got ten and a half years but you see the newcomer walking in that's just as that's him helping you yeah it's a reminder for you where you was and how important it is for you to remain in recovery yeah. so you can support those newcomers and walk through that door yeah, yeah. Um, and we see a lot and I think it was front of house at one stage at um, Elden Street yeah. it was the first place that most people would see what what would you what would you say to people that are fearful for coming into treatment? What would you what would you recommend or advise them? I know it's daunting when you first come through those doors, but there's a lot of people that, and I'm not just talking about people that are in recovery. There's a lot of workers there that know what you're going through because they they've been around for a long time. They know, like what is going on for people, they, they know recovery, they might have 
had family or friends that have been affected. Like, and that's what's so good about treatment services as well, that like, we've got such a mix of people. Um, and obviously we've got the peer mentors there. And peer mentors are, are amazing for people who are coming into recovery, like you can just sit and talk to somebody else. And that's what helped me when I first came into recovery, speaking to other people that had got that lived experience. You've generally taken the words, oh, I think I was just thinking peer mentors then, you've yeah. the words right. What is a peer mentor? So the peer mentors are people that have been through some kind of addiction, um, or in the drug and alcohol service, that's what our peer mentors are. And they're there to kind of support people that are coming into treatment. They don't, that's not just what they do. Like, they do a lot of work behind the scenes there as well. Like they'll do welfare calls, so they'll speak to people over the phone that might be struggling. Um, they can help people um, just by telling them that recovery is achievable. They've been there, they've done it, they've got the t-shirt um, and even in your darkest hour when you think that it's not achievable. If you speak to somebody else that's been there and done it, then it can kind of help to yeah. make you yeah. yeah. So, so really what you're saying is a peer mentor is somebody who's been through, I'm, I'm looking for support. Yeah. Somebody who's been through support already, somebody who's engaged in treatment service, who knows, who's aware of what I may be going through, yeah. and who is also willing to help you. Yeah. So, so Jared, is this something that, that you had or is this something, that, did you have any support from yeah, anybody I mean, else? Yeah, yeah, the, the, where I went in Nottingham back in, it was a peer-led service. So there was people in recovery, you know, uh, you know, from a year to 10 years. And that for me was really valuable to talk to someone who'd been through the process. You know, I, in the early days, I didn't know what the, I didn't understand the, the language, the programme. 12 steps yeah you know i just didn't get it at first and then you know then slowly everything started becoming clearer and i speak to my sponsor speak to other people who, who've done the program i've realized i've got to do the 12 steps you know it's a daily program isn't it all these things started making sense and it was only because of those i didn't realize they were peer mentors or they probably didn't realize they were peer mentors but they were my peers in recovery yeah. and that's who i looked up to and i still do you know and um, you know even for me you know I'm probably just a couple of years ahead of you in recovery terms, but, yeah. you know, I've taken a lot from this. You know, I know you're very nervous, and but, you know, I've taken a lot from this, from this, you know, just talking to you and, and that, that gratitude. So, but yeah, I mean, what, what, what I love about recovery is the motivation that drives people. You know, I know it, it's um, come to light that we've got a Newcastle fan in the room, two Newcastle, did have sports Newcastle. <laughs> yeah, you sport Derby County. I know Derby County isn't your motivation right now. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> But what, what actually motivates you, what drives you in your recovery today? Just seeing how different my life is from what it was. Mm -hmm. um, being able to be there from family and my friends and stuff. Because at one point, like some members of my family distanced themselves from me, not because of my behaviours and stuff like that. They, they didn't like seeing me destroying myself and they were worried that I was going to die and the effect that was going to have on them. And that's why they kind of were preparing themselves for the worst. Whereas now, like, 
I'd see like all of my family and all of my friends and stuff that I used to. I'm a completely different person. I went to my, <laughs> my college reunion and everyone was like, oh my God, you don't drink, you don't smoke. Who is this person? <laughs> uh, but it, it, it just shows that it's, it's possible. It's, it's possible. Yeah. That's, I think that's wonderful. I was saying that. I mean, you know, I've been blessed to do some, some wonderful things in my recovery. You know, doing this is, is amazing. And meeting people like yourself. But one of the, the greatest re- gifts of recovery for me is being that, to be able to be a son to my mother again. Yeah. And, you know, for my kids to have their father back. Yeah. You know, me to be a husband to my wife. And I think people forget that this is a family illness, isn't it? And yeah. The impact it has on our families and our loved ones. Yeah. And the people we hurt the most are the people who love us the most. And we just don't realise they're doing our addiction. It's like that conversation we had before. Man. Like, we both had a similar experience. Our... <laughs> Families coming around because they're worried about us, yeah, yeah. looking through the letterbox, trying to speak to us, and neither of us answering the door. Mm. And it, it, it's things like that that, like, because alcohol awareness week this year's around, like, the impact that it has on families and things like that as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and the the impact that it had on my family and my friends and stuff, like, obviously, I've really built bridges and, like, repaired any damage that was done. But at the time, like, my addiction just took me away from everyone. And, like, I was a very selfish person at the time. But you don't realise it. You don't realise that... What impact did it have on your family? Like I said, like, some of them, like, my my sister, um, I moved to Leicester to help my sister when... um, she got divorced and I was helping her with my nephew. Um, so I had a really close relationship with them. She was one of the ones that distanced herself because she was worried the effect that me dying would have on the kids. So, like, she was there for me, but she kind of distanced herself with the children from me because she didn't want that. Because they were young at the time as well. Um, and she didn't want them being impacted by something happening to me. Yeah. And so you notice that family members, your mum was t- mum was moving away, your sister was moving away. Did you feel it alone at that time? Did you feel like you was using this all together, all on your own? No, I, I, I had like a really supportive partner at the time and he was there all the way through it. Um, it was after I got sober that we kind of drifted apart because I changed as a person, but he was supportive all the way through it. Um, but I think if it wasn't for him, then I probably wouldn't be here now. And that's, I guess, you talk about this as well, James, about being thankful for the people that were there to support you. Yeah, it's, you know, definitely, you know, my wife, the kids, you know, they were my biggest inspiration in the early days, yeah. still are. Um, you know, my mum, you know, towards the end of my addiction, you know, my realisation realization came when they came round and they said, right, we've had enough of your bullshit, right? You know, you, you've told us a pack of lies, always blaming your wife, the kids, my dad had passed away, yeah. you, you, were, you know, blaming him. You know, I blamed everyone. And they said, right, pack your bags and get out. And, you know, if my parents, my mum and my brother never did that, I think I would have killed myself. Yeah. So I needed that. It was a bit of tough love. It must have broke my mum to do that for me to go and sleep on a park bench and, you know, knock on my uncle's houses and, you know, my sister's to let me in. But and if that had to happen, you know, I wouldn't be sat here today. 
So I'm, I'm grateful for that. It was hard, but you know, it's still, it's probably one of the best things that my mum ever did for me in order to you know, turn my life around. So yeah. And again, I talk about it's, it's like you wanted to make the change as well. And I think when we talk about recovery and support, I think one of the keys is as well as the person wanted to make the change as well. I think that you. The two words there, key, is want and change. Yeah. You know, it's how much do you want it and how much do you want to change? You know, I do it towards the end, I was desperate, you know, and you know, if I if I had met someone like yourself or, or, or Les, anything that you said, it was gospel. I did it. What my sponsor suggested in the early days, I did it. You know, you know, although I was brought up in the temple, I used to go there religiously, you know, it's only when I came back into recovery that I reconnected with my faith when I actually realised how to pray, you know. And it was just simple things, you know, uh, my sponsor told me to just how to pray, you know, two th- the, the, the two things I say every day on a daily basis, God, guard my heart and guard my tongue. Yeah. So, you know, and I want to be of use to someone today. So, you know, from becoming useless to being useful yeah. and from being worthless to being worthy, you know, for me, just those words, you know, resonate with me on a daily basis. And that's enlightening because Les is also part of the peer mentor coordinator. You teach people to become peer mentors. Yeah. How, how, how do we get to this stage? If I, I'm talking about me, I'm going through my recovery and I now want to give back. I now want to become a peer mentor. How do I get through this stage? How do I get there? Well, we're just in the pay process. We've got the applications in. So we recruit um, twice a year. Um, so we've just recruited and had application forms in. We've gone through them and then obviously selected the people that we are putting forward for interviews. Interviewing next week um, and then the people from that obviously will do an it's a eight session training um, that it's usually over eight weeks but we're condensing it because of how COVID affected um, the peer mental scheme last year um, because of COVID restrictions as well we're doing smaller numbers um, so we can only take on six this this time around um, but then once they've done that training and they've completed that we'll, we do the e-learning with them as well um, alongside that um, get a DBS check obviously and then then they can come in and start supporting people that are coming into the service. Um, but usually they'll shadow all the peer mentors first of all for a while, and then when they feel that they're ready to start doing it on their own, then we can get them supporting people. So we know the key way of getting in. So if you are in your recovery, you're going through there, and you're thinking of becoming a peer mentor. Now you can speak to your recovery worker, and you can make a referral yeah. um, for an application and and join the team and I think that's what it's about I think it, the more peer mentors the more people there are to help and support other people yeah. it is a key and I think you're doing a, you're doing a great job with, with supporting peers to engage in everybody else's treatment and some of the peer mentors I'm looking forward to speaking to them I'm looking forward to doing podcasts with them in a few weeks but they do an insp- inspirational job yeah. is there anything that you you want to say about them or, or what they just do just how blown away I am by them every single day. Like we've had in the last twelve months, we've probably recruited about I think there's between six and eight of them that have actually gone into paid employment within 
turning point services. Um, That's good. So it, it, it's good to see the progression of people as well, because obviously I came through that way as well and worked my way up. Um, and it's about, it, it kind of gets people used to a routine as well, because obviously in addiction, you're not doing a lot. So the peer mentoring scheme, even if you're just doing like four hours a week, it gets you used to doing stuff so you can then start building on your skills and experiences ready to go. It doesn't, you don't, just because you've done that doesn't mean that you have to then go into treatment services. Like we've had a lot of peer mentors that have gone on into other jobs as well yeah. um, during the last 12 months as well. So we've got a couple that have gone on to work in care homes. We've got one that's gone on to work in a hotel. Um, that takes you back to that point where Jazz says about being worthless, thinking or feeling that you're feeling like you're worthless, but then feeling like you have a worth. It's it's giving the opportunity to do, take part, to volunteer, to engage in courses, and to develop and just move on with your life. And yeah. you've been able to do it. Jazz has been able to do it, and I'm here as well. And I've been able to do it with a room full of three people that have been able to progress from addiction and to also support others. Yeah. So. I just want to say, Les, it's, it's been a privilege. I'm honestly great honour to meet you today and honestly it's been um, yeah I've really really enjoyed this and um, the final final question for you is uh, the podcast called Under the Influence yeah. what are you under the influence of today? Uh, <laughs> I think I'm running on adrenaline at the moment because I've been so nervous about doing this but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> adrenaline yeah, yeah nice one <laughs> No, no, it's been marvellous, mate, and um, thank you. And I'm pretty sure we'll be working with you again. I want to thank Dillish from Turning Point as well for supporting us with this. Turning Point have been fabulous and honestly great. So, yeah, keep listening into the future podcast, and I hope you all enjoy uh, Alcohol Awareness Week. And a big thank you to our uh, Newcastle friend, Tom Watson. Thank you. Thank you.